Well, hey, if you're new with us, my name is Jason. I'm one of the pastors here at Zion, and I'm so glad you're here. I know there are many different reasons why people come. Uh, maybe you're visiting from out of town. We're glad you're here. Uh, I know if you're looking for a church home, I hope that you'll consider being a part of what God is doing here at Zion. I think what's fun to see is we've seen several people who came, came from the park who've now been coming to the dock the last couple weeks. Uh, maybe you're new to the area looking for a church home. Maybe you fell out of the habit of going to church. How many of you have ever fallen out of the habit of something before, right? It's pretty easy to do, isn't it? And so if you're here because maybe you're just kind of coming back into it and like, yeah, I haven't been for a while, so glad you're here. I also know some of you, um, there might be people here who walked away from church. Maybe you were hurt by a church. Maybe you've experienced some church pain, and, and so you're kind of dipping your toe back into the water a little bit. Or, or maybe you're spiritually curious and are wondering what this faith stuff is about, and so you're here this morning. Whatever reason you're here, I'm glad you are. It means a lot to me, and it means a lot to us as a church. Uh, it's interesting, the last couple of weeks I've had individuals, because again, we've got some new people coming, and I had somebody ask me, I said, okay, Jason, um, so we're not members here. Is it okay if we go to Alpha and we're not members? I'm like, yeah. For those of you who don't know what Alpha is, it's, a, it's a, a basically a class exploring faith. What does it mean to be a Christian? Some of the questions about faith. And Megan Dennis has been leading that and doing an amazing job with that. Or I've also had people like, is it okay if my kids go to Z Kids or Z Youth and we're not members? Yes. Yes, please go. And, and, and but real quickly, can we give a big thank you to all of our Z Youth and our Z Kid volunteers and and here's the thing, they don't even know you're applauding right now, but this is more thanking God for them, and, and I want to thank Amanda Farmer and Caleb Pratt, who do a really a great job with our, our kids through high school, and, and, and here's what I love about this question. See, when people ask me those questions, what it's showing is, we have people who are new to church, new to faith, who are exploring, it means we're growing as a church. That's how it should be, amen? It should be a place that when people are coming and they're like, hey, I don't know, Man, we're just so glad you're here. And again, think about one of our values is belong. You don't need to be a member at Zion to do anything that we do here. You are welcome to everything that we do. Uh, this morning is the last sermon of our first series of the fall called Becoming, um, which is actually launching a year-long journey where we will be exploring what the Bible tells us that God wants you and I to become as followers of Jesus. But it's also meant to provide some practical ways to help you understand that becoming like Jesus, it's not something just happens. There are things that you can do, so we want to give you practical ways to learn how to become like Christ. And if you've missed any of this series, I want to encourage you to go onto the app or uh, uh, wherever you listen to podcasts or videos and watch them. Um, when we were doing sermon read-through, uh, I was sharing, and, and we're going to go through it one last time for this series. We're going to go through our vision and values, and, and it was funny. And someone read through, someone goes, literally, Jason, when you did that last week, I heard some groans. Like, oh, are you kidding me? Yes, we are. And, and here's why, because vision leaks, and so if you're tired of hearing it, it means I've done my job well. Because uh, <laughs> the goal is that we need to always have our vision in front of us. What does God want of us? And our mission is consistent, and our vision and values come down to three simple words. So if you know them, you can say them with me. If you don't, I think we're going to have them on the screen. But our, our vision and values come down to three words. Ready? Say them with me. Belong, believe, become. And now imagine for a moment someone visiting our church for the first time, or maybe we hire a consultant to learn what we're about. And if they were to come and ask you, hey, what is your church about? All of us should be able to say, well, it's three simple words. Belong, believe, become. And, and here's what this means. For us, it's pretty simple. Belong, you don't have to believe in Jesus to belong here. A church is just a gathering of people. Wherever people are gathered together in person, that's a church. Come as you are with your doubts, questions, uncertainties, and all. You're welcome. We want you here. But, and this is important, we are unabashedly and unapologetically about Jesus and his word. We want everyone to believe in the good news of the gospel. We want every person who steps through, there's no, there's no bait and switch, we're not a country club, we're not a, a motivational uh, a speaking time. We want you to put your faith and hope and trust in Jesus, but also to believe in his word, because we find that salvation and hope comes through Christ alone, amen? And so we are unapologetically about Jesus, but in this is our final year, uh, uh, we want you to become, because what you belong to 
and believing you will become like. And so what that means for us is we, God wants you to become like the Jesus you say you belong to and believe in. And that's so important for us because I think sometimes we forget that. And so we're going to start and end this series with the same challenge and question that we've said each week for the last month. Whether you like it or not, all of you are in process of becoming something or someone. It's just naturally who we are. You are becoming. The question is, is who are you becoming? And if you're not intentional about who or what you want to become, you'll probably become something and someone you didn't want to. How many of you have ever just found yourself going, how did I get here? That's called becoming. If you're not sure how you got somewhere, that's becoming. And, and in order to become somebody that you want to, it requires intentionality. So here's what we're going to do. I want you to turn to your neighbor. If you don't have someone right next to you, say it to the person in front of behind. Here's what I want you to ask them. Ready? I want you to say these words. Who do you want to become? Go ahead. Turn to your next person next to you. Say, who do you want to become? How many of you are like, that was super uncomfortable, Jason? See, if you felt like that was uncomfortable, good, because here's the thing. Intentionality is uncomfortable. Anytime you intentionally want to do something, it feels out of the ordinary because it's just not what we do. We tend to want to just things just to happen, but that's not how life happens, right? And so when we look at this, for those of you who are like, that was really uncomfortable, well, here is the thing about becoming something of intention, an intentional person is it's going to be uncomfortable. It's not always easy. In fact, I would dare say that's part of the problem within our culture is that we expect things to be easier. And in the church, I think sometimes what we've done is we've made, we, we've gotten away from the fact that following Jesus requires intentionality. Now, if you're a Christian, you're going to answer who you want to become differently than somebody who's not a believer in Jesus. As a Christian, you should be asking this question, who does Jesus want me to become? Who does Jesus want you to become? What kind of friend, what kind of spouse, parent, business leader, person, church member? If you're single, how does Jesus want you to handle your singleness, your relationships? That's really the question we should be asking. And, but here's the thing. God gave us four incredible tools, gifts, resources to help us become like Jesus. So we're not doing it alone. And this is what we've done over the last four weeks. Gift number one, he gave you his word, the Bible. And the Bible itself, you could argue this is just a book. What makes this book sacred is not the ink that it's written in. It's not the paper. It's who it was authored by. It's the Holy Spirit in God's Word working through normal human beings, broken people. That's what makes God's Word sacred. This is just a book. What makes it holy is who it's about, who inspired it. And the inspiration of God's Word is not like a sunset inspires a poet or a beautiful woman inspires a husband. Or No, that's, that's a different kind of inspiration. This means that the Holy Spirit was involved in the process of God's Word. And, and in order to become like Jesus, we need to become hungry for His Word. We should desire His Word. Gift number two, God's Spirit. Now, we believe in the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, three distinct persons who are made up in one substance that is a mystery called God. We cannot fathom Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And anybody says, I don't understand God. Well, that's because He's God. If you could understand Him, He wouldn't be God. That's part of what makes God so big is that we, there's a part that we'll just never fathom. And so we have been given the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. It says that as a believer, you are sealed through the Holy Spirit, meaning marked for Christ, but also the Holy Spirit now dwells in you. So you have God's Word to read. You have the Holy Spirit who resides in you. God wants us to become people empowered by the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us. Amen? And then the third gift is God's people, the church family. We're called to become connected to God's people. Now, something happened in COVID. See, when, when COVID took place, because regardless of where you stand politically on whether people should have met or shouldn't or should not have met, it doesn't matter. Something happened in COVID where we were forced for a season to go online. And here's what happened. Some people just said, Jason, I'm part of a church. I just watch online. Well, then you're not part of a church because a church is a gathering of people. You're just consuming content. Does that make sense? 
to be a part of a church means you have to be physically in location. And so for those, the problem was for some people at COVID, they stopped going to church and watching online and then they never came back. And they'll still say, well, I'm part of the church. No, that's not what it means to be a part of the church. Because in community, that's when we're encouraged, inspired, challenged. It's where we hold each other accountable. It's, it's hard to come alongside somebody if you've never seen them before, right? And so I don't say that as a point of shame. For some people, the first step in faith is they'll watch online. But let's not confuse that for community and God's family. God wants you to become connected to God's people. You need to be in relationship with the people of God. And then gift number four is God's ear and presence, prayer. God wants us to become dependent on His voice and His presence through prayer. And, and as we look at these, we see that God gave us these gifts. And this morning, I want to share with you what I believe is one of the reasons why so many Christians are not actually becoming who God wants them to be. And it's not from a point of shame, okay? I want you to hear this. There's no shame, maybe conviction, but there's no shame here. We're all in process. We're all broken people. And, and we've, God has given us these four incredible gifts that he's put right at our feet. And sometimes we're, we're all in and other times we struggle. But what God wants is for us to be aware, one, these gifts are accessible, but he wants us to be intentional. And so if you are hungry for the Holy Spirit to speak through God's word this morning, would you please stand with me and we're going to pray this prayer of anticipation and expectation. And if you're not there, if you don't want to stand, you don't have to. But if you are hungry for God's word, if you're like, hey, I'm, I want the Holy Spirit to speak. Maybe you're not mentally in the right frame of mind, but you want it. Would you join me in this prayer? Come, Holy Spirit, come. Move in this place, in this moment. Come and move in me. Stir in me a hunger for your words and a passion for your name. Give me eyes to see just how much I need you, Lord. Give me a soft heart. Purify my heart and my thoughts, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' awesome name, everybody said, amen. And our scripture this morning is found in 1 Corinthians. If you want to remain standing, we'll read this together. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last. But we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. The word of the Lord, praise be to God, you may be seated. So uh, August 13th, we, my daughter was born August 14th, 2007. August 13th, we were uh, preparing to have Indy, and uh, I, I was reminded of a birthing class. How many of you guys remember doing a birthing class when you were, anybody, some of you, maybe you didn't, but we went to this birthing class, right? And we're at this birthing class, and the instructor comes out, and she says, okay, man, I'm going to, I want to show you what a contraction is like. And I'm like, all right, let's do it. So she brings out this bucket of ice. And she has, she tells each of the men, each of the, the dads to grab an ice cube and hold it in their hand, squeeze it as hard as you can. And these aren't like little ice cubes. These are big ice chunks, right? And we're holding it. And she goes, now just hold on. And, and here's the thing. Now I'm a little bit competitive and I'm like, yeah, this is going to hurt me. I'm a man. So I'm, I'm holding this thing, right? And a minute goes by, I'm like, labor's nothing cake, right? Two minutes goes by. All of a sudden, three minutes starts coming and my hand's starting to hurt. And then minute four, I'm like, don't show them you're weak. Don't do it. And then finally, about five minutes, we end and my hand is hurting and it's shaking. And she goes, that's a minor labor pain. And I went, why would anybody give birth? Like I literally, legitimately didn't understand. And, and so, okay, now fast forward. Here we are, August 13th, and we're preparing. We know it's Indy's due date. And so Lisa does all the the the, the tricks you're supposed to do to, to get labor going. So she eats some spicy food. We go walk around the Mall of America. We were living in Minnesota at the time. And she gets on one of those exercise balls and she's bouncing and, you know, hoping maybe it'll shake the baby out. I don't know. <laughs> and so she takes a shower and she's coming out of the shower. Now remember, I'm a dude. I'm a little clueless. And all of a sudden she walks and she gets in the door frame and she goes. And I say, What's the matter? 
Are you okay? Why aren't you talking? <laughs> and I remember sitting there and she goes, get the phone. And I go, why? <laughs> Again, dude, clueless, right? Call the doctor. Is everything okay? Like, <laughs> Finally, it comes in and she goes, I'm going into labor. And I'm like, yeah, okay. And so we get her to the doctor and we have the baby. Okay, fast forward. And, and she made sure to make sure it wasn't a few hours. It was 16 hours later. That was really a tough 16 hours for me. I just want... <laughs> My fingers were tired. She was holding them at times and squeezing them really. I mean, I, was, I sacrificed a lot that day. <laughs> and, and for years, here's what I was told. For years, I was told that there's this natural, that God created the, the female brain to release a chemical so that they forget the pain of childbirth so they'll want to have another one. That's a lie. It's not true. It's not true at all. I actually was doing some research preparing, thinking, oh, I'm going to talk about how this God creates and the Holy Spirit reminds us that it's okay to do the hard things. And, and then I started doing the research and I found out my entire perception of labor just came crashing down. And they did a study. They studied, I think it was 2,000 women. And they asked them, a year after a difficult birth, was, do they still remember it being just as hard as it was? And they all said yes. That time did not erase the pain but here's what they did find. The reason why mothers, for those who, who, who had children, were, wanted to have a second if they chose to was because the pain was worth it. The love for the child, holding that child, was, was greater than the pain they experienced through childbirth. And, and here's the thing, is the reason why they were willing to do the hard thing is because the prize on the other side was worth it. Would you agree with that, moms? And, and I can't fully say that I understand it as a man. I, I don't. I, this morning, I want to share four quick stories with you that you probably are familiar with if you've gone to church. And if you're not, that's okay. But I, I'm going to do a high overarching view. And, and the, the, the stories are not the point, but where the stories take us is. And, and so I, how many of you are familiar with the story of Peter walking on water? If, you, if you're familiar, raise your hand. Maybe you went to Sunday school. You're like, I think I've heard that, right? Or how about... The, the paralytic and his four friends, the four friends, their friend is paralyzed and he's laying on a mat and they hear that Jesus is teaching and preaching at a house and, and they want their friend to be healed. And so they grab him by the mat and they carry him to the house where Jesus is preaching and teaching. But there's one problem. The place is packed. They can't get in. How many of you guys know this story, right? And what do they do? They somehow hoist their friend up on top of the roof of the stranger's house. And they, they do some public destruction of property. They tear a hole in the roof of this random person's house out of desperation. And they lower their friend to the feet of Jesus so that Jesus can heal their paralyzed friend. How many of you guys are familiar with that story? Now, here's a story you may not be as familiar with. Jairus, who was a Jewish religious leader. Jairus was a Pharisee. Now, here's the thing that's important. The Pharisees and Sadducees didn't like Jesus. And yet Jairus is so desperate because his daughter is dying that he'll, he'll do anything possible to bring healing to his daughter. I, I, I'll tell you this. If one of my kids is sick, I would move heaven and earth so that my kid could be healed. Would you? And so Jairus, who can't worry about what the other Pharisees, he's so desperate for his daughter's life who is in the process of dying, that he, he forsakes his reputation so that his daughter can get healed? Or how about the woman with the bleeding issue? Now, uh, in, in Jewish culture, when a woman is menstruating, she's considered unclean. And let me explain why. It's not because the act of menstruation is unclean. It's because God is a God of life. And when a woman is menstruating, what does it represent? It's the potential of life being lost. And you have this woman who for 12 years has a bleeding issue, meaning she is ritually unclean all the time. She's perpetually bleeding. And because she's ritually unclean, she couldn't go to temple to worship. She couldn't be in community because anybody who touched her was also unclean. And we see this scene where she's so desperate for healing that she's willing to forget her shame and fear. And she goes to the crowd just to touch the hem of Jesus' garment. Now, these four stories all have two things in common. And the first one, uh, we're going to spend a little bit of time. The first one is this. Besides Jesus, every single one of these people had to do a hard thing. To encounter Jesus, every single one of them required these people to do a hard thing. 
Peter had to take that first step out of the boat, which sounds easy, like, well, he would have sunk. They were in the middle of the sea in a storm. To step out of that boat was losing. It's the potential of losing his life. He had to step out on the water. That's a hard thing. The four friends had to carry their paralytic friend, climb up on a roof, tear a hole in the roof, and then lower their friend to Jesus, all in desperation to see their friend healed so that they could encounter Jesus. Jairus, the Jewish leader, had to stop worrying about what other his peers, his other religious leaders would think about him because he was desperate to see his daughter healed. And the woman with the bleeding issue had to let go of fear and shame so she could be healed. All of them had to do a hard thing. And while we may not realizing it, becoming who Jesus wants you to become isn't easy. Becoming who Jesus wants you to become is not easy. In fact, it's hard. And here's how I know this. If it was easy, you wouldn't need God's word to help you become like Christ. If it was easy, you wouldn't need the Holy Spirit, the helper in your life. If it was easy, you wouldn't need the church community. If it was easy, you wouldn't need the power and dependency of prayer to become like Jesus. And I wonder if part of the problem is, is for so many of us, is that we say we want to follow Jesus, but we don't want to do the hard things to follow Jesus. And and. I want you to hear this because I think part of this is, is our fault as a church. I think in our, our desire to make Christianity more accessible, the gospel more, the gospel more accessible, we also made it more palatable. We forgot that Jesus said, if, if you want to be mine, if you want to be my disciple, you need to pick up your cross. Is that an easy thing to pick up a cross? No, you need to lay down your life if you want to follow me. I think somewhere along the line are our desire to make the gospel accessible to culture, to people who don't know Jesus, we made it more palatable and we actually lost something of the gospel. One of my favorite pastors, a guy named John Tyson, he's a pastor at a church called City Church in New York City. And, and here's a remarkable thing about what's going on there, okay? So he's in the middle of New York. I mean, you want to talk about, like, a, a, this is a city that you think of lost people. They've got people who are pursuing everything, fame, money, fortune, whatever else it might be. And City Church continues to grow faithfully. If you want a great pastor to listen to, John Tyson consistently challenges me and inspires me, but also he does such an amazing job of bringing the gospel. But he posed this question. And I don't pose this as a point of shame, and this is what he said. Did Jesus really die on a cross just so we could attend church service for an hour a week? Let me say that again. Did Jesus really die on a cross so you could attend church for an hour a week? Or maybe two because you got kids ministry, or maybe you're in a small group. Is that all there is to the gospel, and please don't hear this as a point of shame. Actually, it's an invitation to think bigger about the cross. Is that really, when Jesus was hanging on the cross, did he go, Father, forgive them for one hour a week? I mean, we all know that sounds ludicrous, doesn't it? But I think that's what happens in the church is We've made what it means to become a Christian is, well, I, I go to church when I can or when I feel like it. I put a little money in the plate periodically. Maybe I'll serve. And if that's all the church is, it's no wonder that those who are not Christians are not challenged or impressed by the local church. And, this, and, and so the challenge becomes, what is it? What is God wanting us to become? And, and imagine how fast and big it would be easy and, and I need you to hear my heart in this again. This is not meant to be shameful. But it would be so easy to grow a church if all we did was say, you can belong and believe, and that was it. If that's all you had to do is belong and believe, well, I can do that, I can believe. If belief, Jesus didn't say, go and make believers. Because if belief is the goal, then Satan is a Christian. Because Satan believes in Jesus, he's just terrified of him. He said, go and make Disciples, students, followers of me. And because of that, sometimes it's uncomfortable. It is hard to become like Christ. Last week I shared, and, and God's still really convicting me on this, and I was talking about how I had gotten familiar with the holy to the point where I, I, it just, I wasn't in awe when I was in God's presence. And it was just like, oh, I'm, I'm familiar with that. And God really challenged me on that. And, and here's one of the things, I think one of the signs 
that you might be too comfortable with the holiness of God, with the presence and power of God, is that you forget that God wants you and me not just to belong, not just to believe, but to become. And notice that word is become is actually becoming. We are constantly in the process of becoming. And becoming like Jesus happens by doing hard things. Some of you are more than willing to do the hard things for things that aren't of faith. And and I get it. Which is why it's also helpful to remember that what's hard for one person may not be hard for another. The hard things, it's, it's not just a blanket, these are the hard things. For instance, things that are easy for me that might be hard for you. There are things that are really hard for me that might be easy for you. Let me give you some examples so you understand. I have friends who don't like to read. I love reading. So reading God's Word, not hard for me. I enjoy God's Word. I enjoy talking theology and all that. That's easy for me. I have friends, if they could choose to be illiterate, they would. And I don't mean that comically. Like, I know some people, like, they don't even read stop signs. They just look at colors. That was red. Stop. All right? <laughs> and, and so here's the thing. For them, reading God's Word is hard. For me, it's not hard. And the hard thing to become like Christ is God wants you to read God's Word regardless of its hard. But because it's hard for some people, maybe instead of just thinking it's about reading a book, maybe it's about listening to a Bible app. Because it doesn't say you have to read God's Word. It says you need to be in God's Word. If you're an auditory learner, get the Bible app and listen to it or listen to a podcast that the preacher's talking about God's Word. Maybe you're reading the wrong version. And, And here's the thing. When it comes to translations, translations don't mean they disagree with each other. Translation is about taking an ancient language and helping us read it in our current context. I can't read the King James Version. No lie. Half the time I'm like, am I the thee? Am I the thou? Who's the thou right now? I don't, I'm so lost, right? And, and maybe that's you. Maybe the problem is you're reading. Maybe you've got that, that Bible that you had as a kid. And, and this is not, this is such a beautiful thing. I remember talking to somebody who said, Jason, I don't know, I, have, I struggle with reading God's word, but I found my kids, their literal kids Bible, and I can read it. Is that something wrong with me? No. Praise God. But the hard thing for some of you is God's word. It's being there. For me, that's not a hard thing. For you, it might be. That's okay. Or how about the Holy Spirit? We usually associate Holy Spirit with emotions, right? And so I know some people who are really big into the charismatic and the idea of the Holy Spirit is great. And and they're like, no, Jason, I can close my eyes and I can just feel them. But here's the thing. Emotions are holy. God created emotions. Emotionalism, not so much. God is holy. Emotions are not always perfect. Would you agree with that? And so don't think that being connected to the Holy Spirit has to do with emotions. It has to be with knowing the Spirit. And so for some of you, the Holy Spirit's super easy, especially if you're charismatic. You're like, Jason, I can feel the Holy Spirit right now. I can tell. The Holy Spirit tells me to do something, I do it. How many of you have ever been in a church service, and this is the hard thing. We're singing here worship, and you hear that little still small voice saying, hey, you should raise your hand. And you're like, no, I'm Lutheran. You know what I'm talking about? Like, you feel it. There's that thing that's telling you to do it, and you're like, "Uh uh-uh, I don't want to do it. I don't have a question. Like, no. (laughs) But maybe that's the Holy Spirit. For some of you, listening to the Holy Spirit is that when you hear that still small voice telling you to do something that is obviously pointing you to Jesus, it's doing it. For others of you, you're like, yes, I'll get on my knees, I'll cry, I'll do whatever I need to. But for some of you, the Holy Spirit's scary. Have you ever been walking down the street and felt like the Lord was telling you, hey, I want you to pray for that person, that random person? Have you ever had that? Raise your hand. I had that happen last Sunday. I was driving in my golf cart, only in Clear Lake, right? I'm in my golf cart, and I'm heading home, and I saw this person walking, and I felt like the Holy Spirit said, Jason, you need to go pray for him. And I went, no, I don't want to. I don't want to do that. That's weird. He's going to think I'm odd. Yes, because normal people don't come up to people and say, hey, can I pray for you? And so I turned my golf cart around, again, only in Clear Lake. I turned my golf cart around, and, and I come up to this gentleman, and I said, hey, I, I, this is going to sound weird. It's okay. Is there anything going on in your life that I can pray for you? And he began to share with me that he's divorced and he's having some issues with his ex regarding his children and his concern is for his children and and he needed a job. And so I prayed with him. And then I also invited him to church. And if you're here, praise God, come and see me. I'm so glad you're here. If you're not, hey, the Lord's going to deal with him. But it's that step. For some of you, the Holy Spirit is hard. And so you say, well, Jason, I don't like that. Well, again, the hard thing. Or how about God's people? I'm an extrovert, for those of you who didn't know. I, I, people, 
Now, I've gotten more introverted the older I've gotten because sometimes people are exhausting. But extroverted people are comfortable and they get energized by being around people. Maybe you're an introvert and the hard thing for you, even going to crowds, you're like, Jason, two or more gathered, that's still a crowd, right? And, and so f- for some of you, being in church is hard. Others of you are like, I can't wait to be in church. It's going to be awesome, right? But it's about doing the hard thing much less being in community. For some of you, the thought of being in community is hard, or let's just talk about busyness. Sometimes just getting to church can be hard because you got kids, you got to wake up. (sighs) You have the Vikings, which should drive you to prayer. (laughs) Praying for Kirk, my brother Kirk Cousins, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, throw that, it's good. You're praying, but here's the thing. So for some of you, church is the hard thing. Community is a hard thing, and it's so easy to go, well, I'm not naturally wired that way. That's the thing about hard things. If they were easy, they wouldn't be hard. And then how about prayer? That was my confession last week, is that I spoke that over myself for literally years. I'm a person who struggles with prayer. I'm a person who struggles with prayer. I'm a person who struggles with prayer. Guess what I became? A person who struggles with prayer. If you're somebody who says, well, I don't like to read, guess what you're going to become? A person who doesn't like to read. It's the way our brains are wired, and and the Lord is still convicting me on that, and I'm realizing that too many of us, we speak over the hard things saying, I'm not the kind of person that does X, Y, Z. If you think you're a lazy person, if you say you're a lazy person, what are you going to be? A lazy person. And so the, the point of this is, again, it's meant to be a challenge is, None of these things are easy, but don't think it's just about those things. But those are the tools that God has given us. And, and for some of you, the hard thing is maybe one of those things. It might be all four. But if you want to become who Jesus wants you to be, you need to be willing to step into the hard things. And the reason why you have community, did you know they've done studies that show that it's easier to do hard things together? What? I go to the gym every morning, and there's this group of crazy people who get there at like five, and they are, they're downstairs in the punching bags, and they're like, and I walk by, and I'm like, mm-mm, nope. <laughs> but why? If it was just one of them, I've never seen one person at five in the morning in a punching bag going, one, two, there's always like 10 of them, and most of them are women, and they scare me. <laughs> and, and you're, why, but why are they there? It's partly the community doing the hard thing. But how about prayer? For some of you if, you, if you're somebody who wrestles with prayer, maybe you think prayer is easy. And I'm not talking about the kind of prayer of, well, Jason, I pray before a meal or I pray before I, I go to bed or at night. I mean the real, the kind of prayer that is about meeting with God intentionally. The kind where you are listening to the Lord, that can be hard. It's not about the length of your prayers. It's about the quality of your prayers. Again, these are hard things. Now, with all that in mind, let's bring us back to our Bible verse this morning that we read, that 1 Corinthians passage. I I want you to remember hard things, hard things. And Paul is writing to the church in Corinth. Everybody say Corinth. That's where we get the book 1 and 2 Corinthians, okay? So he's writing to the church in Corinth. Now, the Greco-Roman Empire created the Olympics. We still celebrate the Olympics. But in Corinth, every other year, they would would, uh, host what was called the Isthmian Games, And the Isthmian Games had running, boxing, wrestling, chariot races, among uh, a few other things. And they would have Patreons that would support uh, the athletes. They would basically pay for them to train all year long to compete for the prize. And this is who Paul is talking to. Every citizen in Corinth was familiar with the Isthmian Games. And so this is the context. Do you not know that in a race... All the runners run, but only one gets the prize, run in such a way as to get the prize. Now, the prize he's talking about, first place is this wreath, and you've probably seen it, right? And this wreath was made out of uh, foliage, and sometimes they'd have like pine cones and a few other things on there, but that wreath is, really, it wasn't about the wreath. It's about what the wreath represented, which was glory, honor, and fame. And this is still true today. We still have people who will compete for the prize, and the Olympics today, it's all about the gold medal. I'm a big Patrick Mahomes fan. Two out of three Super Bowls. I mean, that's remarkable. But the Super Bowl trophy is the goal in football. Or if you're a UFC guy or into boxing, it's all about the title belt. And Paul says, listen, everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. That word strict means self-control or intentional 
training. They're aiming for a prize. They're willing to do it. Why? And Paul says they do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. See, the problem with the wreath is that the wreath eventually falls apart. It's made out of foliage. Eventually, it's going to wither. It's going to fade. And we'll look and say, well, we still have the trophy. Gold trophies don't wither, Jason. But what are they really chasing? Is it really about the trophy or is it about fame and prestige and all the things that come with it? And he's saying, listen, some of you are, are pursuing the wrong thing. You're pursuing the trophy. But once you get it, you're going to discover it didn't really last long. Because once you get the Super Bowl, is that one Super Bowl enough? No, you need the next Super Bowl. Is that one race enough? No, but let's even think about other prizes. For some of you, it's the bank account or the house or the job, the promotion. Now, here's the hardest truth about this. If you don't believe me, listen to what pro athletes will say once they win the ultimate prize. They have to win the next year too and the year after that. They're chasing the dynasty, the Super Bowl, the gold medal, the title belt, the raise, the promotion, the next building, whatever it is you're building. The ultimate trophy in each of their sports or whatever it is, it's not enough to actually satisfy you. And if you don't believe me, how many of you have ever gotten something and you thought that thing was the thing and then once you got it, it felt good for about a week, but what happens after a week? It kind of, eh, and now you're worried about the next thing. The trophy is not enough to give you meaning and purpose or joy in your life. And that's part of the reason why Paul is using this. I was watching the documentary Swamp Kings on Netflix. How many of you have seen it? If you haven't seen it, it's a wonderful documentary. It's all about the Florida Gators. Uh, it's a university, it's a college football team, and it's following Tim Tebow and coach Urban Meyer, and Urban Meyer, Urban Meyer, he won two out of three SEC championships, which is a big deal. The SEC championship, particularly in the early 2000s, late 90s, was considered the hardest league in all of college football. I mean, it was an impressive thing. He wins two out of three, and someone said, man, that must have been incredible in the, in the, uh, in the interview with them, and he goes, man, it, was only, it only went up from there. And he goes, if only that was true. Listen to what he says, and this is what he says in the, uh, the documentary. He began to have sleepless nights and massive bouts of depression. He got hooked on Ambien. This is what he said in the interview. It got to the point where I'd take two Ambien and drink a beer on top of it just to get four hours of sleep. I'd have those moments where I would just sit there and I'd start sweating, shaking like a panic attack, like something's going on here. We're not ready. We're not ready. You know what he was saying we're not ready about? Because once he won the two, he had to win three and four and five, and it was never enough. And now the prize became overwhelming for him. Here's the thing. When Jesus is saying that we run after the prize, the prize is Christ. He already ran the race. Did you catch that? The prize is Christ. He already ran the race. This is not about your morality. This isn't about how good you are, how spiritual you are. It's about pursuing the prize, which is Jesus. Why? Because chasing earthly rewards simply won't sustain you. It's just not enough. But pursuing Jesus will. Listen to what Paul goes on to say. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I've preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. I didn't, read, I didn't even think about this until just now. You know what the thing about running? Running requires endurance. I'm not great at running. These legs not built for running. Short distances, yes. Running requires endurance. It requires getting your heart going. Boxing, boxing, the intentionality as you're coming in, you have an opponent. It's about being able to take blows, but also to give blows. Too many of us don't have endurance in our faith, but we also don't know how to spiritually box against the enemy. So the enemy lands a punch on us and we just crumple because we've got glass chins spiritually. What if the challenge that Paul is giving here is he says, no, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I've preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Now, you might be like, wait a second, Jason. This makes it sound like I could lose my salvation. Is that what Paul is saying? I'm going to get to that, but first thing I want to say is this. If that's what you're focusing on, you're missing the point. Let me give you the new translation, new Jason translation of this verse. You ready for this? This is taking everything we've talked about the last four weeks. I don't train for nothing. I don't just run or spar at the gym without purpose. I'm training with intention. 
I do hard things in life just like I tell others to do hard things so I don't miss out on the ultimate prize, the prize that never fades, the prize that gives my life real meaning and purpose, eternal life with Jesus. So if you're like Jason, but he just said I could be disqualified from the prize, usually the people who ask me if they can lose their salvation are usually the people who are really asking this, what's the lowest I need to do to be a Christian? Because if you're actually pursuing Jesus, you're not worried about losing your faith. And so Paul is, is telling us, no, continue. Don't, it's not, don't stop focusing on being disqualified. Focus on the intentionality of Jesus being the prize. And if Jesus is the prize, then all of a sudden, the hard things get worth it. Why is it that when you're training, and, and you know, again, if you're in athletic competition, you're training, you'll put in hours of training so that you can compete in something that within a few months, really, you're going to only focus on the next thing. How much time do we put in our spiritual training? How much time do we put in on those four gifts that God has given us? Again, He's given us His Word. He's giving us His Spirit. He's given us His community, His body of believers. He's given us His, his prayer, all those things. And well, then we're wondering, well, how come I'm not growing in my faith? Well, it's like going to the gym and saying, well, I have a membership. Do you, do you ever actually work out? No, but I have a membership. And you should see the training manual. I got lots of highlights. Are you doing any of the workouts? No, but check out my book. I got lots of notes, really good notes. It's intentionality, and Jesus is inviting us to intentionality. And again, we believe, we want you to believe in Jesus' death and resurrection, but we also want you to believe in his word. But again, it's not just about belief, it's about becoming. Jesus himself said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. He wants you to be a follower, to become like him, and it is a process, and it's not easy. Now, I told you that there were two things. The first thing is that each of those stories focused on a hard thing. Peter, it took courage and uh, faith for Peter to walk on water. It took strength, faith, and determination for the four men to get their friend to Jesus to be healed. It took courage for the Jewish leader to set aside his reputation so his daughter could be healed. It took courage for the woman with the bleeding issue to set aside fear and shame to do so she could, so she could touch the hem of Jesus' garment. All of them did hard things. Now, I want to share something that happened last week, and this is not, this is, this is about what God is doing. Last Sunday, I've had multiple people who came up to me and said they got healed last Sunday from physical things. One person who couldn't raise their arm got healed. Another person who was uh, battling a back injury all week long couldn't sleep. In the middle, when we did the acts, if you were here, we went through adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. As we were praying, she shared with me, we were going through that, and I was praying, and all of a sudden, my back just felt better, and I looked around like, what just happened? And then I talked to another person who their hip was all out of, out of whack, and by Sunday afternoon, they were completely healed. We weren't chasing healing. We were chasing Jesus. God, when we do hard things, we meet Jesus, and this comes to what the next thing is. See, you can do the hard thing, but here's the second part, and I would argue the most important part. All four of them were desperate. There was desperation for an encounter with Christ. Some of you might be right now going, I don't like that desperation feels weak. I don't, like, I don't like the sound of desperation. And in our culture, desperation is often a sign of weakness or neediness or immaturity. In fact, when someone is desperate, we'll call them thirsty. But you know what? As a Christian, you should be thirsty for the living water. You should be thirsty for the presence of God. All four of these stories, and in fact, if you read the Bible... Every time that God has an encounter, a major encounter, you're going to see two things, hard things and desperation, because here's the, here's the hardest part. You ready for this? It's easy to do a hard thing when you're desperate. I would move heaven and earth if my child was sick to get them healed, would you? If the doctor said, Jason, if you don't lose some weight, you're going to die of a heart attack, guess what I'd do? I'd start losing some weight. Why? Because when you're desperate, hard things get easier, don't they? If you're not desperate for Jesus, the hard things are hard for a reason because you're trying to do them out of your flesh, not out of a desire to know Jesus. Now, in our culture, we change and we make the word desperation sound stronger. You ready for this? And, and for some of you, this might sting a little bit. You don't like to be called desperate, but instead you'll say this, well, Jason, I'm driven, I'm passionate, I'm fierce, I'm ambitious. 
These are just other forms of desperation. Let me, let me show you. If you're driven by control, you might be desperate for security. If you're somebody who constantly has to be in control of things, you're desperate for something. It's security. You, you need to be in charge. If you're passionate about winning, you might be desperate for recognition or self-worth. If you desire comfort, you might be desperate for peace. Or how about the people who actually are desperate? I know people who are desperate to be financially free. They want to become rich. So what do they do? They chase money. They'll do hard things. Or if you're desperate for love, you chase relationship after toxic relationship. Every one night stand is an attempt to be loved. And here's the one that the Lord hit me with. My desperation, I'm desperate for joy and fun. And so I chase experiences. And the Lord's like, Jason, you need to chase me, not the experience. And this is why Paul's words to us are so important to the church in Corinth. Athletes, too, are driven by desperation. What they're desperate for is to win the prize. No one looks at a Patrick Mahomes or a Kirk Cousin and say, yeah, he's, he's kind of mediocre about winning. No, they're desperate for the prize. Are you desperate for the prize? Are you desperate for Jesus who is the prize? This is the most amazing part, though. When you become desperate for Jesus, when, when he becomes a thing that you just, he is everything you're seeking for. You're willing to do the hard things. You ready for this? Check this out. When you become desperate for Jesus, the security that you tried to get by being controlling, you actually find in Christ. The acceptance, the love, if you're desperate for love, but you're not desperate for Jesus, you're going to go to the wrong things. But when you're desperate for Jesus, you'll find love and value and acceptance and identity if your life is in chaos and you keep on trying to control it yourself, when you become desperate for Jesus, you find peace and joy. When you become like Jesus, you discover each of these things are found in Jesus. The problem is we want faux, fake Jesuses. And Jesus is saying, no, you need to be desperate for me. Now, maybe you're sitting here going, Jason, I don't think I'm desperate. Well, here's the best part. God meets you where you are and how you become desperate is by simply repenting and saying, God, help me to be desperate for you acknowledging it. The more you start to read God's word with desperation, the more you read it with the mindset of saying, I, I need God's word. All of a sudden you become hungry for God's word. If you want the spirit and you're saying, I need the spirit. When you pray, I need the spirit. Eventually the spirit starts working in you. You need a holy desperation that leads you to do the holy and hard things of pursuing Jesus. And when we're desperate for Jesus, it becomes way easier to do the hard things for Jesus, doesn't it? When we become desperate for Jesus to move in our lives, all of a sudden his word becomes food for our soul. His spirit becomes oxygen for our lungs. His people become our family. We can't wait to be in community. Prayer moves from being prayer to powerful prayer. On Friday, we had 35 women who gathered to take prayer seriously, and I heard that God showed up and did something amazing Friday night. We need to become a people who are desperate, and I believe this is the challenge that God has for Zion. This year, we want to become a people desperate for Jesus. Not desperate to become a bigger church, not desperate for healings and miracles, desperate for Jesus, because when we're desperate for Jesus, Jesus does what Jesus does. If, if your marriage is struggling, pursue Jesus. Because here's the thing, when you're desperate for Jesus, do you think that might impact how you treat your spouse? You think if you're desperate for Jesus, as you're loving Jesus more, do you think that God might stir in you greater love? Or if your marriage is struggling, that the two of you are pursuing Jesus together, that maybe God might move there? Or, or the things that you're doing, what if God has placed those obstacles in your way so that you would be desperate for him? Instead of just giving you the easy way out, what if God is saying, no, I put that, that's, I'm allowing that there because I, I want to be the most important thing in your life. I want you to be desperate for me. King David wrote this in Psalm 27, 4, and I'm gonna invite the worship team back up. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. David literally is saying this, the only thing that matters to me right now is God's presence. Over everything, I just want God's presence. What would happen if we became a people who are desperate for God's presence? I'm going to invite you to stand. And If you are in a place and you're like, Jason, I don't know that I'm desperate for the Lord, I'm going to give you an opportunity to confess that and then pray for the Holy Spirit to move. And so if you're in that place, and, and again, 
This is not a point of shame because I'm not always, there have been many seasons in my life where I've not been desperate for the Lord. But God promises that when we're desperate for Him, He becomes the prize. And the holy hard things, they're still hard, but they become worth it. The labor pains of becoming like Christ are worth it because of what's birthed inside of us. The image of God. We become more human. We become the people God wants us to be. If you want to be that, here's what I'm going to invite you to do. If you want to pray this with me, and it is a prayer of inviting the Holy Spirit to move, would you just put your hands into a posture of receiving if you want it? If you don't, don't do it because I'm telling you to. But if you're like, Jason, I need to be desperate for the Lord, if that's where you are. And I just want you to repeat after me. Say, Lord Jesus, help me be thirsty for you. Holy Spirit, move in me. I'm sorry, Lord, where I've not been desperate for you, where I've thirsted after the wrong things. I want you as my prize. In Jesus' name, amen. As we close in this song, if you need to go, that's fine, but if you want to stick around for a few minutes to worship, if you got to get kids or whatever, but... Desperation isn't an hour a week. Desperation is throughout the week. How do we become that? And this is why we need community. This is why we need the church. Jesus, the gospel is because Jesus wants a life with you. He wants his word to come alive in you. He wants his spirit to empower you. He wants us to move from a people who talk about prayer to a people who actually pray and move. Amen? Let's continue and let's worship. And again, if you need to go, I'm going to do the benediction right now, and so I'm not going to come back up. If you need to go, you can. Receive this benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you. May you hunger and thirst for Jesus. And if you are just coming back, maybe you wandered away, welcome home. I'm glad you're here, but more importantly, let this be the first step, the first hard step so that you can hunger and thirst for something bigger. Amen? Let's continue in worship. And if you need to go, thank you guys for coming.